Hey guys, I think it's getting spookier outside. Yeah, why is that? Because it's the season. The season? The season of the witch! Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> To scares and satire, the scary podcast where we turn low horror fantasy into high horror art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my favorite ghouls and co-hosts. It's your boy, Jack. A crusader who decides to slash first and think never. Deus Volp. Exactly. And it's Chelsea Hollowell, a warlock speaking in tongues. Ooh. <laughs> I noticed that about you today. If you can understand this, it's already too late. Oh, boy. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, we've finally done it. We finally delved into the deepest pits of artistic madness because this week we watched a Nicolas Cage movie. That's right. It's 2011's Season of the Witch. Directed by Gone in 60 Seconds director Dominic Sena? It tracks. Makes sense to me. Okay. I'll allow it. Nice. Well, as usual, I think Chelsea has a spooky synopsis That's ready right. for everyone. Strap in your seatbelts and get ready for this, because we have a lot to say. Hold on, I don't think this carriage has seatbelts. Oh, boy. We're Wait. just in this metal cage. You guys get to sit inside? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I thought I noticed that you were just kind of hanging from behind the carriage, dragging along the way. They said there was a weight limit, but I guess I'm still on the carriage. Well, you're light. <laughs> the weight limit is one wayfish girl. <laughs> yeah, but she's swole. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. In Season of the Witch, viewers follow noble dudes, Bayman and Felsen, <laughs> played by Nicolas Cage and Ron Perlman. Woo! Perlman! <laughs> in their angsty quest to find redemption. This dynamic duo fought in the Crusades between 1332 and 1344 A.D. Critical information. There will be a quiz later. Yeah. They've been at the Crusade game for 12 years. Just solid. Really. Solid career. It's a long time. Thank it's a you long for time. doing that math for any listeners that may not have that as their strongest suit it's true. and no shade you know everybody's got their strengths and weaknesses yeah. not gonna lie these guys have an impressive lifetime kills record it's true if that they... is part of the core of their angst mm -hmm. 
if they're to be believed, their kill rate is in the hundreds or thousands. Now, hold on real quick. I just want to point out, before we get into the Crusades, this movie starts with some uh, extreme hangings, actually. Some, like, uh, bungee jump-style hangings. That's true, but... And, you know... It isn't in the spirit of the summary. Well, it (laughs) happened. It's a scene that happened. Let's come back to that. Okay, but, I mean, I want to talk about the hound. It's just... Some hanging salt on top of this meal we've prepared that is the film. Umami. Yeah. People now have to hang on our every word to find out what the heck you were just talking about. Nice. That means I'm doing my job as the hype man. Oh, man. (laughs) So, these rad dudes deserted the church squad after they had an uncomfortable feeling they may not have been fighting for the right team. Guys, are we the bad guys? No, no, that can't be right. Couldn't be. They make it back to home base somewhere in Austria, disguised as pilgrims just passing through. Bayman's epic tear sword breaks their clever disguise, however, and they're presented to the bishop, who strong arms them to take on a mission from Gad. <laughs> they eventually agree to take the job as caravan guards, transporting Witch Girl Interrupted, to uh, played by Claire Foy, to a group of nerdy monks who will be able to fix the pestilence she apparently caused. Now, if she caused the plague, why do they think that she would also stop the plague? You know, maybe her death at the hands of the Book of Solomon will do the trick. Oh, that, you know, that explains it. Very important artifact that was one of the last two copies was destroyed in that brutal hanging scene we'll never tell you about but (laughs) that's true so for the film there's only one and that's where they're headed in this film also i believe in this scene a cardinal is played by saruman yes that's absolutely right sir christopher lee plays probably his most uh disturbing looking role uh he's got some major boobos going on on the uh, facial region yeah, but who else would have that kind of core strength to just order two guys to go on a mission from his deathbed? True. True. Yeah. And especially in that booming, commanding Christopher Lee voice. Mm-hmm. Indeed. The voice of a metal singer. That's right. So, best buds Bayman and Felsen aren't buying this story and suspect that this girl's true crime is being a loner while female. So they only agreed to transport the girl on the condition that she get a fair trial. Fair, quote unquote. (laughs) And that their charges for desertion be dropped, of course. Well, I mean, you gotta get a little something something for yourself. (laughs) Their mistake was thinking they were in a war movie about male friendship. But they soon learn the awful truth that confidence isn't everything in a horror movie about female empowerment and demonic possession. (laughs) They slowly learn on their journey to the monastery that the girl is not as she appears, but has abilities no girl could possibly display, like strength, compassion, insight, or speaking multiple languages. Am I right? All right. (laughs) You see, she's not really important. She's just a problem. You get it. Ah, I see. I see. Mm -hmm. 
problem all these guys have to clean up like usual. Am I right? Uh, I don't I don't think so. Gee, you're being really offensive, Chelsea. Oh my god. <laughs> don't blame me, blame the movie. <laughs> I always blame the movie. Is there another female actor in this film? I don't Oh, except for the one that Nicolas Cage kills. Is well, there there's another... those three witches in the beginning, but we're oh, not yeah, supposed to talk right. about that. Oh, yeah. What are you doing? You guys keep leaving all these Easter eggs. Yeah. I hope we can remember to come back to They're, them. We're supposed to be leaving Halloween eggs. Oh. Our coven is going to be blown any minute now. Oh, boy. What are Halloween eggs? Uh, just Cadbury eggs. But they're filled with blood and guts. Oh, so an improved recipe on the Cadbury egg. Exactly. Less deadly than the real formula. <laughs> yeah. Much more palatable. Yeah. Hmm. So, once the group arrives at the monastery, the girl transforms into a demon who is really after a sacred text guarded by the monks. Didn't see that coming, eh? I guess in my heart of hearts I wanted to believe that, you know, she was, um... Uh, redeemable, but, well, I guess I'll let you finish your recap here. Yeah, I was actually a bit of a sucker. I didn't realize it pretty much until, like, the scene before she shifted. Because I, I thought there was actually hope for her to actually be a good character in the end of this. But she becomes a demon. Yeah. Yeah, the whole time Jack was like, why is this poor woman in a cage? Yeah. <laughs> She's surrounded by cages. Oh! <laughs> that is the deadliest cage to be trapped around. A in. nesting doll scenario where she's in a metal cage, she's in a societal cage, and she's guarded by the Nicholas Cage. Oh, wow. Oh. So many layers. So an epic battle ensues after the demon reveals itself, and they, they fight against the winged beast and its minions of possessed zombie monks. And a battle in which Felson sacrifices himself to save his friend, and Bayman sacrifices himself to save the girl to cancel a previous boner move. Oh, yeah. In the beginning of the movie, he pulls a major boner. Well, there are a few boners that he pops during this film. <laughs> no, but I have a I have a question unrelated to boners, possibly for the first time in my life here. Oh my god. But uh it, there's these demons flying around, right? And then like they look like they're, you know, I guess full-size demons, human-sized demons whatever. But then when they're inside the the monastery, they're like small enough to what crawl inside of somebody's ear or mouth or whatever how big are these demons do they grow and shrink what's the deal here guys what's the deal with demons <laughs> they're changing sizes and they crawl in your mouth i was so confused what was happening i guess they take spiritual form so you know it's kind of like magic they can do whatever they want there's magic in this movie a little bit of the jesus kind and the Satan kind. Come on. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so, as he dies, Bayman tasks his page boy named Kai with looking after the safety of the girl, who we finally learn at this point is named Anna. And Kai, of course, is played by my dear sweet Klaus from the Umbrella Academy. Yes, sweet, sweet Klaus. Proto-Klaus. Yes, this is like young, boyish Klaus, as opposed to uh, older, hardened, uh, drug addict Klaus. Klaus. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I can already see the fan theories of when Klaus time travels into Season of the Witch. 
I mean, well, spoilers. Okay, so there's a major earthquake going on right here, or it feels like a major one because our house is on stilts. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm guessing, uh, uh, welcome. 4.0? <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was probably a five. Uh, welcome to California, everybody. We are still here, and it looks like the recording is still happening. So let's press on. Yeah, we just call that a California hug. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Looks like another coven is active on this spooky season of the witch. See, we shouldn't have angered the Nicholas Cage gods. We'll send or... one back their way soon enough. So, with an 11% freshness rating on Rotten Tomatoes, this mm. film goes much the same way as many that star Nicholas Cage, who is vastly misunderstood in his time. I think that was a pretty good summary. Thanks. I feel summarized. <laughs> Well, now that we've gotten the wonderful summary out of the way, I think it's time to get to the meat of the podcast. The bulky, gory bits. Throw it right into our cauldron, give it a stir like three witches that we are, and serve it up to our listeners. I gotta say, guys, the dialogue in this movie is pretty funny. It's pretty snappy. It's well-written. Cage and Perlman have great banter. They have a rapport that I don't think I've seen matched since... Vin Diesel and Michael Caine in The Last Witch Hunter. Oh, nice. Quips for days. They've got a real chemistry going on in this film. You know, when one of them lacks in one field, the other takes, you know, takes the lead for them. They got each other's backs. They cover each other's weaknesses. It's a match made in, uh, I guess, heaven for this film, you know? Yeah, I mean, in this case, for, for those two, probably because they're crusaders. A match made on the battlefield. Yeah. I like that. Wait. <laughs> that was good. Mm. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, you know, I think that the, the themes that really jumped out at me at this are, um, you know, justice. There's a lot of justice. I mean, um, Cage's character, Bayman, uh, feels like he's kind of been unjustly uh, driven through his years of crusading. Like... Um, he kind of starts out with this idea that he was fighting an unjust war. He was being used by these cru this crusader captain. That theme is also closely tied in with the um, concept of honor. Yes. He feels like he's driven to fight against common folk. He's a warrior. He has particular ideals about what it means to have honor in battle. He doesn't want to be just slaughtering civilians. And he's kind of led to that at the end of his journey through the Crusades. And he kind of feels like he lost his honor at that point. Mm -hmm. And he seems to be trying to kind of redeem it through Claire Foy's character. And, and his insistence that she be given a fair trial seems to be kind of a reflection on his own desire to perhaps be tried fairly in the eyes of God after his time is done. Yeah, he has to atone for his past misdeeds or wrongdoings. Mm -hmm. At the end of the Crusades, at around the 12-year mark when you're talking about when he's fed up, that's another good example of when, uh, of when he and Felsen have that nice kind of like-minded moment where... Bayman stabs through this woman trying to flee. 
and there's a slow motion scene of him realizing what he's done, and the woman collapses to the ground dead, he, uh, Bayman turns and sees Felsen, and they kind of have the same thought at the same moment, that this isn't, this isn't great. That's the, are we actually the bad guys moment, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And later on, he has, Bayman has a similar vision of kind of reliving this, but with the female lead. The poorly named The Girl. Yeah. Uh, he, he sees himself running her through in the same way that he did this innocent woman in the city that he was sacking with the Templars or the Crusaders. Yeah, because he, he believes her most of the film, that she's this victimed girl. Yeah, absolutely. He, he really seems to truly um, want to give her the benefit of the doubt when most other people don't. That's because he kind of saw, they both saw the church for, they feel for what it kind of really is. And it's an institution of people who are corrupt and want to serve their own ambitions. And they kind of realized that the church was using religious rhetoric to urge soldiers to fight unjust wars. And that's why they deserted besides, you know, killing the civilians. Yeah, there's a lot of crises of faith kind of in this film and, and questions of faith and this idea of, it seems like they're they're kind of running with this idea of, can God help them? Will God help them? Or do they have to help themselves? Is there a God? It's not really certain up until a certain point. And then suddenly there's demons and everything. And okay, yeah, there, there's probably a, a God and a devil in this universe because, you know, there's literally demons flying around. So. Yeah, actually, up to the last scene, like, last scene at the monastery, it was kind of a really interesting, nuanced film with that had a lot of depth to it. Yeah, I would say this is a surprisingly complex uh, story. I actually, I mean, and I, I'm a big fan of Gone in 60 Seconds, um, you know, uh, one of Santa's other movies with Nicolas Cage. This was their reunion. Um Finally back together. Got the band back together. But, I mean, yeah, it's shot in a really interesting way. There's some really great scenes of um, these European forests. They're, they're somewhere in Eastern Europe. Uh, really gorgeous woodland areas. There's that interesting scene with the ravine where they're crossing the bridge. Uh, you know, of course, they're crossing a rickety wooden bridge. I mean, like you do in this type of journey. they got to get their carriage across. We get to see this moment where um, the girl uh, shows her amazing witch strength or demon strength by catching Kai as he's falling off of the bridge. And With we see, one hand. Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, up to that point, you go, well, maybe she's just, you know, surprisingly buff. But no, I mean, demon strength. Yeah. We should probably talk about some of the other characters, though, that kind of round out this journey and kind of add to these questions of faith. We've got... Actually, there's a priest in their adventuring party named DeBelzac, who's who's kind of a dick, I'd say. Or a ball. There's Eckhart, the old grizzled soldier who is living with the shame of having lost his daughter. Or, or kind of, he has this trauma from having lost his daughter. And it seems like um, the girl uh, plies, I'm sorry, the girl uh, exploits that loss uh, but then she's kind of uncertain in, in the way she responds. She says that he was the only one who was nice to her. But then again, demon, so. 
There's yeah. also Hagamar, the New York uh, merchant. Mm-hmm. Or at least he seems to have a New York accent. Wasn't he a hustler? Um, was yeah. he the guy in the gallows? You could argue or that whatever. all merchants are hustlers to some extent. He yep. was introduced as a merchant and then they kind of say that he's a swindler after that. Mm-hmm. This is a great role played by Tommy from Snatch, of course. Oh, poor sweet Tommy. He was great. <laughs> so they have this... They get the gang together, the adventuring party. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. um, along the way, they realize that somebody's following them, and it ends up being Kai, who is an altar boy turned page boy. And he joins the group by kind of fighting with uh, Felsen, Ron Perlman's character, uh, as a way to teach him that he doesn't have what it takes to join their group, and he proves them wrong. This is where we find out that the altar boy turned page boy is really a rogue boy. <laughs> exactly. Yep. More on that to come. And his background actually becomes relevant later in the story as an altar boy. Because when Perlman and uh, Bayman both sacrifice or, or are in the process of sacrificing themselves to fight the demon... It's actually Kai who finishes reading from the Book of Solomon to stop the demon. The rogue always saves the day, guys. When the chips are down, the rogue stabs clowns. He was a religious acolyte turned rogue. Oh, such a great character concept. I love it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's pretty good. Um, So, yeah, I uh, wanted to just real quick be able to give my two cents about the uh, dynamic duo there between uh, the about the rapport between Bayman and Felsen. Please. Um, so I thought it was mostly a positive portrayal of platonic male friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I could see like, well, more on this in rewriting history. I have some thoughts about how it could be changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but. Um, so the only thing that I really noticed was uh, the director or writer or some combination of that. They were trying to avoid homosexual coding. Probably, yeah. They, these guys are the manliest of men. Well, see, they do that by having Felsen and Bayman discuss in the beginning when they're fighting. They're kind of having that banter back and forth. And they're talking about how often they drink and go sleep with women. (laughs) Yep. After one of the fight scenes, it cuts to a scene when they're in a tavern and they both have two women on their lap. Yes. Gotta gotta make sure that we don't have any question about these guys' sexual interests. And then after that, throughout the rest of the movie, they avoid it because, or they don't, they don't have to press the point any further because you know they've already kind of established the fact that these two men are manly like, men are manly men not homosexual not like you know as the, these typical societal coding that you're that we're exactly discussing exactly thank you i'm not saying that myself i'm kind of talking about um like coding in our culture about what it means to be a manly man right or someone who is not heterosexual which uh you know i don't agree that you know those stereotypes are accurate or anything 
I'm just saying that is the coding that is recognized and, you know, used in movies. Oh, man. If they had had Bayman and Felsen as lovers, this movie would be a flat 10 out of 10 for me. That would have been amazing. Well, that's, that's my so idea for a reboot. So I think we should come back to that in rewriting history. Okay. Well, if you insist. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you mentioned the idea of faith before, and I kind of saw it as a dichotomy within the film, actually. I saw it as faith versus deception that was constantly kind of woven throughout mm. the film. Nice. Well, you know, uh, fun fact, uh, Claire Foy really enjoyed playing this part because she liked being a female character who gets to deceive these guys who think that they know what's best and, and they're always right. But even though she's in this cage upon cage upon cages, she's actually the one controlling all the action because we find out at the end that the demon, that unfortunately the male demon... I guess. I don't know if demons have sexes and genders and all that. But... I didn't see any genitalia on that thing. So. <laughs> oh, God. Um, regardless of that, this uh, this character, this female character, the witch or the girl, as she is actually titled in the credits of this movie, is trying to get to this monastery to get to the Book of Solomon, to destroy this final copy of the Book of Solomon, so that demons can reign free! Exactly. And that was and a great plot. I, I really like that twist. I just realized an opportunity that we missed before, and I wanted to say it just to get it out of my system. She was in a cage-ception. <laughs> That's deep. <laughs> yeah. Mind so, blown. So, um, this movie is a historical fantasy movie about a time period when there is a religious persecution of women, particularly independent women who might have been healers or just kind of, you know, own property and generally acted like they didn't need a man to tell them what to do. Yeah, you know, they had opinions or any kind of strength. Yeah, it's true. Actually, in the scene which we shall not talk about, at the beginning of the film, one of the women who is brutally hung is actually... Extreme hanging, Extreme, please. yeah. Argues that she isn't using magic, she's just making, like, balms and medicines that are meant to help people. And they're like, yeah, but we can't risk it, though. You might be a witch. And, I mean, I guess in their defense, she was? Was she one of, was she the witch? I think she was, actually, yeah. Pretty too sure, bad. Pretty sure the one that, she, that said she was just making salves and balms was actually demon witch i mean this movie is called season of the witch it's really easy to assume that all the demons are witches but i think they're actually demons possessing humans it's more of an exorcist scenario looking at it having seen the entire movie thinking about that first scene i now know that she was possessed by a demon she yeah was she was so they should have called this movie season of the demon Ooh. and then we're actually hitting like nice yeah we're actually hitting on a critique I had about the movie because um, I thought that the fact that it was demons possessing people and doing these things kind of undermined the messaging 
of the corruption of the church that was established earlier in the movie. I can see that. And the historical reference in the fact that there was this persecution of women. Right, it kind of justifies... They're directly referencing a time period in history, and they're fictionalizing it, but it was a real time when there was a general mistrust of independent women who were basically scapegoats whenever something bad happened, particularly sickness or plague or crops failing. Or if, you know, the sun didn't shine enough, or if there wasn't enough rain. Or the sun shined too much, or there was too much rain. Or the women were too women. Or the men were two men. Or the men were two women. I don't think they ever had a problem if the men were two men. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that, actually. So, uh, in actual history, people would report on women for a reward. They would be rewarded by the church. Yeah, not a great system. And then the church would confiscate the woman's property. It was very often women who owned property that were targeted. Huh, funny that so many property-owning women were also witches. Yeah, just a coincidence. Kind of an affluenza that spreads over the people, you know? Power corrupts. Um, Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. (laughs) So, in the movie, some of the characters are kind of anachronistic in their way of thinking. Bayman and Felsen in particular, but also... Maybe less Felsen. Okay, Bayman, you're right. Just Nicolas Cage's character. Not that Felsen's a bad dude for the most part. Like, he's mostly interested in drinking and whoring, but I mean... And looking after his friend, his best bud. Yeah. I mean, that that part I respect. Yeah, so their kind of awareness that she's probably just a scapegoat seems pretty anachronistic to me, but I can appreciate that. Because it kind of makes the movie a little bit more palatable. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that that's kind of the great thing about fantasy is that we get to explore themes that we are interested in, historical periods, but we can reframe them in a way that's more palatable or that is more of an escapist, uh, you know, this is how we would have preferred things to be. You know, obviously, if any of us could go back in time, we would have wanted demons to fight. Like, that's just a given. Exactly. That's true. It is nice just being able, when it's fiction, to give your characters that one insight that completely changes the way they act and makes the movie nicer to watch. Yeah. Because they aren't horror, they aren't terrible with, like, being anachronistic like they aren't using slang they don't like try to shoot a crossbow like it's a gun at any point in the film turning it sideways or anything oh man that would have been amazing though although they do have some like demigod feats where like felson is headbutting dudes that are wearing helmets and knocking them silly oh yeah felson's a headbutting machine and he is no helmet headbutting helmeted Guards and stuff. And the demon. He tries to headbutt the demon. Yeah. And uh, Bayman also deflects some crossbow bolts with some daggers he has in one scene. That yeah. was silly, shoot but two bolts pretty fucking cool. Yeah, it was awesome. I Listen, the action <laughs> scenes in this film are not too bad. The fight between Felsen and Kai is very dexterous and acrobatic. I really appreciate it. I mean, it really highlights the idea of, like, watching... 
a movie that if you were, you know, seeing a role-playing game, a fight between, like, a fighter and a rogue, and it was really neat to see that played out on film. Just, I just want to put, kind of put a caveat out there, just for anybody who may not kind of, you know, understand that I was kind of using sarcasm here. I want to make it clear that anything derogatory I've said about women or girls so far is completely sarcastic. It's it's okay. Just put the uh, sarcasm filter on the audio, and then everyone will get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. I was being facetious. Mm-hmm. And you were doing it expertly. Oh, wait, should I say it? And you were doing it expertly. Thanks. See, there's a sarcasm filter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice, I like that filter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, anytime we're being sarcastic, we just have to be really sarcastic. <laughs> um, so before we move on to uh, our rating, I want to ask you guys a question. Since we've now watched two movies in a row that kind of take place in a general time period with um, the plague. You know, the last week it was right. um, Night of the Dead, Night of the Dead, Knight of the Dead. And this week it's Season of the Witch. Oh, two of those. And both have row. zombies in them. Are there zombies in Season of the Witch? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Demon possessed oh, zombies. Oh, yeah. Pos- <laughs> Possessed zombie monks, even. Great. So that this is a great lead, and then we've got the the Grail in um, Night of the yeah. Dead, and the Book of Solomon in religious, Season of the Witch. Religious relics. So I just want to ask you guys to kind of share your thoughts on which of these movies does a more interesting job of using the theme and the time period to tell its story. Well, I'll start Ooh. off with that. I mean. I vastly prefer Season of the Witch, even though it isn't always uh, consistent with its messaging, it does have a fairly coherent plot, and it is not kept secret from the viewer at any time. Like, I think the writers knew what they were doing. (laughs) I, I would, yeah, I would agree. I'd say that Season of the Witch is a competently written film. Yeah, so it's easy to follow, even though it jumps around in time and place. I always felt like I had a pretty good idea of what was going on, and they, the costumes were amazing. Oh, the armor the, and the capes the were just great. were really cool. Like, the towns and the battle scenes were very gritty and bloody, and um, the scenes on the road were very mysterious and spooky in the woods and the dilapidated bridge was so cool i i think they did a lot of work on making this feel like a lived-in world and that went a long way to really pulling me into the film cool jack well something for connect of the living dead of the dead. Oh, oh, excuse me. Right, right. For uh, Night of the Dead. I thought, uh, I liked how their holy grail was not clearly a magical item and that they really had to operate based on faith alone. And I thought that was pretty neat because historically, if we're talking the time periods, like that's kind of how most holy items work. 
like when they're brought up in history it's not very clear what they actually do for people people have their theories but they really just kind of keep pushing through hoping that it's going to save them the book of solomon is much a much cleaner holy artifact and by that i mean it actually works which means it allows them to use it in the plot it's cool thematically when your holy item might not do anything but it's pretty useful when the thing that you're going towards actually pushes the story forward because the holy grail only kind of offered an explanation for why they're doing what they're doing where the book of solomon was like the answer to their problems i guess i should say the book of solomon made sense in the context of the story yes without it they would have all been dead the demons would have won if they had gone and figured out and it's true it's true yeah and it worked maybe like the holy grail where they weren't sure if it would do anything they'd all be dead it would be eons of witch yeah (laughs) eon of the witch yeah yeah so uh i'm gonna have to say the book of solomon is opop and uh the superior magical item that's a fair assessment Mm -hmm. you're making me think that they were trying to plan a a saga or a series of movies to fit together it starts with season of the witch then it goes to year of the witch then decade of the witch oh man i really (laughs) am excited for age of the witch i'm very excited for millennium of the witch (laughs) yes and for my money, you know, I think that I like the I like what Season of the Witch was trying to do with its theme. As we said, it muddies the water by having these women actually be possessed by demons who are trying to kill the world. Um, if they'd gone in a different direction, I think I would appreciate it a little bit more. But this is a unexpectedly coherent storyline in season of the witch and i think that that gives it the uh the significant edge over kinect of the dead so i think we kind of all agree on that point yeah and on that note i think it's time to get to our ratings So as you already know, our rating system is based on swords. Ten swords being a perfect rating. One sword being the worst possible rating. And short swords representing half ratings. So I'd like to ask both of my co-hosts now to tell the listeners one interesting thing about the movie. It could be a good thing, a neutral thing, or an evil thing. And then give us your rating. Jack, why don't you go first? Well, one thing that I kind of liked about the film, uh, it reminded me quite a bit of a different movie, The Return to Yuma. Just the idea that they're on a journey to deliver a prisoner to the location where they will be sentenced. And the prisoner is constantly trying to persuade and intimidate their way out of captivity, when in reality, they are fine with reaching the destination in the first place. I just think it's a cool plot. It worked in a Western. I think it worked in this medieval setting. 
I'm going to have to give this film six swords. A decent rating. Strong rating. Chelsea? So, there is actually something really unique about this movie. And I think that it's that the one of the two main characters is defending the main female, I think, could be protagonist of the movie. Uh, not because he's interested in being in a relationship with her, but because he doesn't want the sins of the past to be repeated and he believes that she deserves a fair trial and she deserves to be defended in her own right. Great point. Very and cool. I think that's pretty unique and that's one thing I really liked about the movie, so that's a good thing. So I think I'll give this movie, I would have given it, no, let me just say, I would have given it a lower rating the first time I watched it, but I appreciated it much more the second time I watched it. So I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 swords. Very strong. Possibly your highest rating yet. Nice. Not quite, but it's up there for sure. I respect it. What about you, Jamie? So my interesting thing is an evil thing. And I don't mean a bad thing. I mean, it's an evil thing. Because I really appreciated the witch slash demon's powers. I like a cool, diverse set of magic powers. And this character had it. She had it in spades. She's got illusions and enchantments. She's got super strength. She can aggravate pre-existing wounds. She can read minds. She can control the wind. She can summon fucking fire. And she's got animal affinity with wolves. And she can scare horses. So just kind of general spooky animals control less spooky animals fear powers. I really thought that the uh, the stigmata effect she had on, I think it was to Belzac, who had a wounded hand, and as she was like staring him down, his wounds start to bleed. I thought that was really cool. Awesome. I liked watching her melt this cage around her and, and kind of emerge as this fiery demon. So, Ooh. you know, pretty nice, like, sparse use of special effects, but what they did with the, the magic powers and stuff was really cool. I liked that a lot. And I think I'm going to echo Chelsea's sentiment. I think I'm going to give this movie uh, eight swords because, yeah, it's it was pretty damn enjoyable and smarter and wittier than I expected it to be. Yeah. Nice. She also had the superpower of being a female lead in a film with no love interest. Not at all. I guess, does do her and Kai kind of at the end have a little... Swingy, swingy going. Nothing super overt, I don't It's not know. overt. It doesn't seem like it. He's just, he's an honorable dude. He's charged by uh, Cage's character, Bayman, to protect her because she can't show her face in her homeland anymore because she's been labeled as a witch. So he's charged with protecting her so that people don't kill her unjustly. Fair point. I'm probably just adding a layer of expectation onto their relationship because every fucking movie does I it. think they avoided it. I it's, think this is just my cultural programming showing. It's easy. It's, <laughs> it's easy. okay. Also... It's, we're trained to expect it and it, this was a refreshing movie without it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, uh, we forgot to mention Bayman Knight's 
Kai right before they go into the final fight. That's right. So yeah. now he has that kind of chivalry. Yeah. To oh, man. Acolyte, rogue, turned paladin? Pretty oh, hot. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, I think it's time to rewrite history. So it's rewriting history. This is the part of the show where we discuss ideas for a sequel, a reboot, a remake, or a spinoff. And Chelsea, you you were chomping at the bit, or champing at the bit, (laughs) to share your thoughts on how we could rewrite history. Okay, just stick with me here because I think that this movie is so interesting in all of its oniony layers that it deserves two revisions. Ooh. Two separate revisions. Yeah. So two two more films. Exactly. Okay. One mm. is a reboot and one is a sequel. Okay. So which one comes first? The reboot. Let's talk about the reboot first. So, so is it a sequel to the reboot or a sequel to the original? The sequel will be to the original. Okay. Ooh. And the reboot is a reimagining. Nice. So the reboot, I thought, you kind of touched on it before. You 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 predicted my idea. Mm-hmm. I thought the reboot could be where they turn the friendship. Now, I'm happy to have platonic friendships, and I usually call for it, and this is kind of atypical for me, but I thought it would be interesting to see a romantic subplot between the two knights. Hot. Yeah, and I and I agree with you that platonic friendships are not portrayed nearly well enough. Positive platonic friendships are not portrayed nearly enough in film. True. Yeah, it's but true. even more so... I love this idea. Just because it's it's so underrepresented uh, and, and and usually not portrayed in a positive way. So if it could be handled in a in a constructive way, I would like to see a romance between the two knights. So let's talk about it. What what's how does it change or does it change their interaction? I think that they would probably not have to have all that posturing in front of one another constantly one-upping each other that competition would kind of go away i think that could be read as sexual tension now what if we (laughs) rewrite those competitions as a contest to see which one can show the other one a greater amount of affection like buying a better gift or kind of more of a, a loving uh competition i like that i would love to see the scenes where they're like with women and drinking beer and stuff, where instead of two women sitting on their laps, one of them is sitting with their legs across the other's lap, and they're, like, cheersing. Oh, that would be amazing. Yes, yes, yes. I would love to see that. And then, like, when they're in the prison cell, instead of them, like, manly sitting across Mm -hmm. from each other, like, Felsen is maybe leaning on Bayman. Or maybe hugging each other, like, holding one of them's holding the other one to comfort him. And this actually... Does matter to the plot, okay? Hear, okay. hear me out. Yes, I'm ready. I, so, I am 100 percent invested in this remake. If we're rebooting it, we can fix all the muddled messaging of mm-hmm. the movie. We take out the demon possession, okay. and so Whoa. it's these two knights. Who so are... we're back to an actual season of a witch. Exactly. Cool. But I'd like 
kind of a kaleidoscope shown where some of the women that are arrested or persecuted actually are just tradeswomen or landowners and but maybe some are do have some magical affinity or something oh a cool thing that could happen is if anna the main girl was a witch and yeah feel free to rewrite it but anna was a witch and did have these powers and she shows her powers throughout the film, but she her, her mental state gets worse and worse as they keep prosecuting her. And then you find out that... Persecuted. <laughs> you find out that witches are more susceptible to demonic possession because of their powers. And because they torment her throughout the whole film, she gets possessed at the end. That's just that an could, idea. That could work. That could okay. work. Okay, yeah, yeah kind, of, kind of keeping... With some of the the original content, we have a few okay core ideas here. You could go either way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then of course, she could redeem herself by fighting off the demon on her own, not needing Felsen or Bayman to help her directly, just to protect her physically while she uses her own we could show mental a tenacity. Struggle. Maybe she's struggling with the demon through her dreams. You know, oh, and cool. um, they show her. Actively trying to fight against it and, and struggling physically as well. Yeah, that get that interesting. Get that Nightmare on Elm Street kind of feel going. Might yeah. be cool if she was actually the one who could read the Book of Solomon. Oh, I like oh. that. That could be neat. So one thing I wanted to bring up, how this ties back to the romance angle between the two knights, is that their part of a their lifestyle is not accepted by society. And they know what it's like to be persecuted. So oh, I love they, it already. This is why they are oh, so I adamant see. about defending her. Yes. And yes. making sure that she sees a fair trial. Oh, that's so nice. And protecting her the entire time. Guys, we better get right in. Yeah, that is so good. I really like that. That's a wholesome spin on it. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Not by myself. We all put in... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Oh man, yeah, okay. I am I am 100% on board with this rewriting of history. Yes. Okay. Now, this is not typical, you know, we just usually give it one go, so this might make us run a little long, but I think it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, so and the sequel. side note, yeah. if you hear a thundering roll in the background, that is the cat Loki purring in the distance. Yeah, he <laughs> He is a Thundercat, even though he's Loki. It's true. It's cold over here, so we're cuddling up with a blanket, and that's like a signal for him. It's a bat signal for our cat. A cat signal, as it were. A cat signal. But, please, the sequel. So, the sequel now, I mean, if the... Okay, I was thinking that it would be off the original movie, but... It could be off of the reboot. Yeah, why don't we sequel our much even more interesting spinoff? And so... Or reboot, rewrite. So, Bayman and Felsen still sacrifice themselves for their what they believe in. Yeah. Um, oh, it completes their cycle. Yeah. They're buried in the same grave at the end of the film, and their swords are crossing. Oh, well, side, maybe yeah, side by side. Because in the yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. In the ending sequence, after uh, Bayman and Felsen are buried, the bells act between them. Yeah, what the why is up with that? It's like they had to do their whole like macho man bro thing even into their graves, literally. Like mm-hmm. just show I, affection, show show affection for each other. I love the idea of them being buried side by side together. That's so that's sweet. adorable. Yeah, with the cross swords. Ah, oh, 
That's, mm, I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the sequel could start from that scene. Hot. From the burial. Yeah. Okay. So Kai and Anna. Kai and Anna are traveling together. They're going to be... Who's Anna? <laughs> they're going to be wanderers at this point. She can't go back home, and he's charged with protecting her. So he's are they doing an like honorable a... knight. He's, he sees it as his duty nice. to protect her. Can we? Is this going to be like a pilgrimage story? Exactly. Oh, yes. And they're, mm. they're pilgrims, but as they have knowledge of the supernatural, and they know it's real. Oh, yes! So they become master monster hunters. Yes. She has magic. He has a sword. They work together against supernatural threats across Europe. And they travel together as different types of warriors. The warriors come in many stripes. Yeah. That's so sick. And, yeah. More moral strength, physical strength, mental strength, Emotion, all, all the emotional strength, emotional strength, strength all the, the strength. Friendship. The yeah. most powerful strength. Yes. Yes. And they're friends. Yes. This one does not need a romantic subplot. No. To and, you know, that's another thing that I love to see that I never get to see enough of in film. Platonic, different gender friendships. And so, mm -hmm. maybe since... Heterosocial friendships. If we go with uh, Jack's input it with the reboot and she was still possessed by the demon... Mm -hmm. then maybe she still has some of that magic. Oh, oh. residual demon magic that she can utilize towards she's good? She's forever changed, and maybe in the beginning of the movie she's tortured by it until she's able to use some of her powers to save somebody. And then that's when they get the idea to start wandering around as traveling monster hunters helping people out. Yeah, maybe at first she's kind of ashamed and, and trying to reject her powers but then when she sees what good they can bring through helping somebody in a moment of crisis which is you know which fits with the original story too where she's able to show this incredible strength in these moments of duress, duress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> jinx exactly <laughs> i you know it maybe it's just me but i think this it would be a great opportunity for them to fight a Dracula in the setting. Oh, yeah. You know what? There's never enough Dracula. There were demons, and now there could be Draculas. Yes, could we have and... a? Could we have a Frankenstein too? Oh yes. And and a Wolfie. Yeah, a, wolf, a, a Wolfman. Yeah, I'm personally a big fan of befriending the homunculi. Like, if they re came across a Frankenstein monster... They don't always monster, have to fight the monsters. I like that. That's a good idea. Because you know? a yeah. lot of people think she's a monster, Anna. Oh. And she good, turns out good. to use these yeah. typically thought of as evil magics, and she probably thinks of them that way too, to help people and do good. So she understands the psychology of the quote-unquote monsters of this world. Those who have been rejected by society. Oh. Yes, and also, you know, it might not be super historically accurate, but I would love it if Kai knighted her at some point, and a big part of the film is that people don't acknowledge her as a knight, and then by the end, maybe even one village just being like, yes, Sir Anna, yes. that would that'd be so clutch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah they it. have to, like, save one 
key village at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they had that Frankenstein's monster, maybe doing the thing from, you know, Frankenstein where he's supporting that family. Mm-hmm. If in this heroic film, he actually, or she, whatever homunculus you'd like to use, ends up actually being able to help people in a heroic way and be rewarded for that, that would be the happy ending to their story that they never got, and that would make me very happy. Anna's yeah. heroism can inspire heroism in others. Yeah. They're paying it forward. Mm-hmm. Guys, I don't know what we're doing wasting our time podcasting. We should just be writing these scripts. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's true. And if we're funded on Patreon, maybe it'll happen. That's right. Yeah. All right, I think that's a, an awesome sequel that we've come up with there. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to top that. Oh, wait! Yes, I do, because it's time for Can You Roleplay It? The segment where we talk about this movie, but now it's an RPG. Mind if I kick it off? Go ahead. So, I think our main boy, Bayman, is a good aligned character. You know, I agree. It's not a lot, it's not yeah. a huge thing to start off with, but he really is into the idea of helping this person. He thinks they've gotten a raw deal. Doesn't go along with society just for the sake of it. He sees this person as an individual right. and thinks that they should get a fair trial. And when the demon is talking to him, it acknowledges that it found the best way to manipulate him was to give him someone to save. Right. Which I think is a very good alignment thing to do. Now, this is my big question for you, though. Gonna really throw a monkey wrench into this. Holy. Fighter or paladin? Ah, you see, I'm glad you brought this up. When I saw him deflect those bolts with his daggers, I thought, battle master fighter. Nice. Right, a because leader, those, yeah. a commander, respected by his troops. Right, they have the like that martial prowess where they have certain battle tactics. I believe it's mm-hmm. called. Yeah, they have special moves. I think deflection might be one of them. If not, it certainly looked like something they might have in a film. I think if we're gonna do a paladin, it might be Kai in our spinoff. Because yeah. if he's going around with the Book of Solomon, if he memorizes some of those That's exorcisms... That's right, he saved the book. Yeah, and he's going to probably go copy it, hopefully. Yeah. But he's definitely got some rogue levels. We saw that, that fighting style early on. Rogue and paladin in one character? Amazing. Can this blasphemy turn into something beautiful? <laughs> I mean, yes. Yes, he is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's great. A rivalry as old as time united in one person to make such a cool character. Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. But I think if he memorized some of those spells and exorcisms from the Book of Solomon and was just swinging a sword and could recite those verses off the dome, that's a paladin. Yeah. And it's a legit one, too, because some of the paladins we've come up with so far, uh, it, it's iffy. But this one would be legit, because Divine Magic is straight up confirmed in something he does in the film. But That's point, true. I'm just saying, a rogue with sneak attack that can also smite is pretty disgusting. 
<laughs> wow. I, I'm trying to figure out in my head how we can, how you can justify a sneak attack smite. If but, it's on yeah. a demon, I think it could be considered fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, or I, on a Dracula, perhaps. Yeah, probably on a Dracula for sure. Felsen, I think, just pretty much straight up classic fighter. Yeah, champion. I, do you think? I hate to, I hate to pigeonhole him, but yeah, I think a traditional champion, whatever you, whatever edition you're using, basic yeah, fighter. It's true. Uh, you know, maybe some, some, uh, you know, feet. You know, obviously some, some good combat feats and stuff, and some maybe some social feats because I feel like Felsen had that charisma. Yeah. He, he, he was crass but likable. It's true. It's true. He was viewed as the more reasonable of the two. I think. Mm-hmm. What What do we think with Hagamar? Bard? Hmm. The merchant? Yeah. Oh. Yes. He's got a silver tongue. It seems like. Yeah, it's true. I could easily see him as that. And maybe the gallows he was trapped in had an anti magic spell. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know that everybody always wants to make being a bard illegal. So. Yeah. A bard who is also a traveling merchant. I like it. Yeah. That's a good combination. They did say he was a swindler, too, so, you know. So he could be a rogue if, you know, he doesn't have any magic. Yeah. DeBelzac is, or... (laughs) No. (laughs) His name is so silly. We're, We're calling him these derogatory names based on his character's name because... Because he's kind of a ball sack. Yeah. And he's the one who was torturing the girl before they left on the journey. Yeah, he is kind of a sadistic priest. But, I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously he, he's got some holiness to him. I guess he's a cleric. You know, and clerics can run the gamut in, in most editions. It's, you know, you can have neutral and evil clerics. I think he'd be a cleric of knowledge. He has fewer healing capabilities. That's cool. Or of revenge. He's revenge kind of, He's kind of spiteful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's more of a scholar than a healer, though. So, so wizard, maybe? <laughs> no, I don't know about that. Just religious? Mm, maybe He's not. He's more of a religious person than a true scholar. Yeah. <laughs> we never get a chance to see if he actually was capable of using the book or not, because he doesn't... Uh, it started to work. Oh, that's right. No, we did start to He was it. using the... Then religion. he gets killed. So yeah. I think that he's got that... That divine magic in him. Yeah, yeah, he definitely does. And uh, he has, you know, huge insight. He he knew to kneel and start praying. He had, he listens to his instincts or to, yeah. he would probably call it to his God. Well, he passed his religion check. Yeah. yeah. So clerics in this specific world setting probably, or all the religious classes, probably can't cast unless they have that arcane focus. Like Maybe. the Book of Solomon. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's a, it's a holy symbol. It's a holy relic. Yeah, holy symbol. Oh, um, yeah, it wouldn't be arcane. It would be a holy symbol. You're yeah. right. I do want to make sure that we talk about Anna. I don't want to forget her. Well, I mean, I guess it, it, uh, it depends on how you're going to run this. I mean, obviously, if you're running this as a uh, as the DM, and you, you've got a pretty solid RPG quest, you know, take, you know, see this caravan to this holy site, and then you've got this great big bad evil at the end, but, Mm -hmm. you know, there's obviously ways to twist it, so. She could be portrayed as the antagonist who is a witch, 
Um, I figured NPC who turns, villain. Who turns into the big bad and mm. actually take can take on a demonic form, so it can transform. And, you know, she's the type of character that you have your friend come in and, and role-play maybe to kind of build up some... Uh, some good emotional uh, mm. connection between the characters. And then so, whatever the party decides to do can have an impact on whether or not this character uh, ends up in their party for the next leg of the quest or not. So, mm. yeah. And I want to review real quick what uh, possessed Anna's abilities were. Um, so, uh, some of these you mentioned, but I'll just go over them again. So, she had super strength. Super swollenness. Uh, she could make other people have visions. Enchantment magic. Enchantment. Uh, she could speak in other people's voices. Enchantment. That's right. That was a very... Or transmutation. Transmutation. She could control animals, particularly wolves. She could scare animals. Uh, she could summon hellfire. Like you do. Evocation. Illusion. Uh, she... Had psychic ability, other psychic abilities like clairvoyance and um, divination. Divination. Um, We've got a generalist wizard or or a very uh, diverse sorcerer. It sounds like to me. Uh, yeah, maybe she, a wild sorcerer. She raised the dead, so there's necromancy. necromancy. Yeah, wild. Although I, I mean, that's you, every class. <laughs> raising the dead is is I mean, you know, again, like possessed by a demons. Not Flavor it how you will. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I. But I mean, as a and as an NPC villain, like you can you can load her up with a lot of different stuff. So yeah. if you go with the original movie, she she would be your the NPC villain of your adventure. Then if you just you, have to find out a way to prevent the party from uh, just automatically assuming she's evil and killing her, because we all know that a lot of RPG parties are a bunch of murder hobos. Yes, yeah. but. If you go with Anna's arc as redeemed monster hunter in our sequel, mm-hmm. what would she be then? I've got an idea. Oh boy. I think perhaps a sorcerer just because her powers came from like an inherent possession. The thing that possessed her had the power and it left it behind and now it's kind of just magically entangled with, I guess, her soul. Yeah. But... If I wanted to make it cooler, and we're talking maybe 5th edition d and I'd say Infernal Pact Warlock. Exactly what I was going to say. And her, yeah! and her oh. patron is dead. So, or just banished. She's looking for a new patron. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I think that actually I, I would go a slightly different route. Infernal Pact Warlock, but she's, it's, a, it's an antagonistic relationship with her patron. So she's fighting against this... Uh, you know, I guess the devil, this yeah. the devil, <laughs> and she's getting she's able to channel these powers because she knows that she can do good with them. But she's conflicted and she's trying to resist the influence so that she doesn't come under the control of this patron. Oh, that's cool. She I could... like it, and it reminds me of another movie or show. I'm trying to remember. Oh, it's, it reminds me of the Dresden Files a bit, but oh, yeah. that's so cool because if. Her patron wanted her to collect souls or whatever by killing people or maybe just to cause mayhem by killing people. If she had to kill anyone in the sequel film, 
it could be a really big moral dilemma for her because she's like defending the weak. Yeah. But it, she's also doing something that her patron would approve of, which she hates doing. And so she has <laughs> right. to wonder if if the bad guy wants it to happen, but the good guys also want it to happen, then she's in a weird gray zone. I love this conflict. It's Your crazy. approval brings me infinite shame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I now it. I now I really want to play a, a warlock who is, uh, you know, formally exercised, like, possessed by demons character. Yeah. That is hot. Hout. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that just about does it for this week. Is there anything uh, you guys want to cover before we sign off here? Well, I think if you like what you heard and you like our show, let other people know about us. How can they do that? They can talk about us on social media Ooh. or even just tell their friends face to face. Ah, the original social media. Yes, exactly. And, of course, you can always like and subscribe. Smash that like button. Smash that like button. Slap that favorite. Give it a heart. Give us a follow. Give us a subscribe. Share with all your friends. Their friends share with their friends. Their friends share with their friends. Listeners, that's a good idea. Thank Three, you for that, listeners. the total world, either way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can also leave us a review on iTunes. Let people uh, know that you don't know. Let people that you don't know know how much you like us. And other than that, I think we're ready to sign off from the show. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you. We'll 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 be talking at you next week. <laughs> but until then. Hail Crom! And thank you for listening. I love you. <laughs> it's the power of friendship. <laughs>